are the gentlemen advancing the melanin evolution. First off, thank you all for joining us for the Father's Day edition of the Game Recognized Game Podcast with RLJ and Kev. Kevin and I have the conversation um, about how Father's Day needs to be celebrated just like Mother's Day needs to be uh, celebrated. But even more importantly, Black fatherhood needs to be celebrated um, on this day that the nation set aside for um, fathers. And so this year we was like, yo, let's let's branch out so for for mother's day we had women talking about their journeys through motherhood raising black boys in today's society and this month we're talking to you know talking to black men how they're raising their children in today's society Um, we'll talk about the lessons you learned the things that you wish you didn't learn um, those things that you want to pass on to the next generation and the things that you uh, wish to unlearn so that the next generation can be an even better father than what we are creating the example. And brother Jay, I'll add, I'll add to that by saying, um, I don't think we could have planned a more timely episode. Right. For such a time as this to bring together some some positive brothers and brothers that we admire together to really talk about fatherhood and um, what, what what all we have to do to build a foundation for our village and our community, man. So um, I, I often tell Brother Jay before some episodes where I like, man, I know this joint gonna hit. It's gonna hit. I like the, the spirit is in the room and I think the spirit is in the room this evening, man. So I appreciate um, each and every one of you to come in out and just supporting us and really just having an open dialogue, man. The, the purpose of the podcast from our purview, you know, we're not trying to uh, restate what's already being said or take one side or the other of a, of a particular political issue. Um, if anything, uh, we want to leverage the platform to just establish dialogue, dialogue and conversations about what are the, the key attributes that we need to do as, as black folk here in America to really build community. And um, it's our perspective that it all starts with the, the black man, all of, our, all of our glory, all of our flaws and challenges. And um, as fathers, for a lot of us, man, like what we going through now, and I'll speak for myself, uh, yo, we didn't have a training book or a perfect guide <laughs> book or a roadmap to try to be a good father. A lot of times I'm trying to be the, I'm trying to be the father I never had, you know what I'm saying? And um, that's a lot of pressure and a lot of burden that we place on um, ourselves, but I'm just happy to uh, have the dialogue with you brother this evening. And I definitely want to thank you from the bottom of our heart for, for just uh, being being vulnerable and sharing um, your background with us this evening. So uh, said, said, brother said, we'll kick it off with you, man. Oh, I'm going up first. All right. Uh, what's going on, gentlemen? Cedric Howard, I, damn, 41. 41. Uh, actually, I have two kids. I have a son, Amari, who will be 10. Me and Kev, we kind of go back because our sons were born days apart from one another and, and went to preschool together for a minute. And I have a daughter, Alexis, who's seven. I'm married. I'm here in Woodridge, Virginia, but I'm originally from San Francisco, California. Uh, Cali boy, born and raised. I've been out here in the DMV area for Wow, since 2006. So definitely glad to be in the space. Also, I am a communications professor at Northern Virginia Community College, Woodbridge campus. Hi, um, what's up everybody? I'm Keelan Henson. Um, originally from Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, South Memphis, Black Haven, stand up. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's always in there. 
Black Haven. Um, I currently live in Huntington, West Virginia. Um, I have two children. Uh, I have a son, Caleb, who's 17. Uh, I have a daughter, Kayla, who is 19. Uh, my daughter is uh, a sophomore in college. And uh, my son will be a senior in high school now. I'm also a professor of psychology at uh, Marshall University. And uh, my specialty is racial identity and racial socialization, uh, African-American academic achievement. Oh, and uh, I am, uh, I'm a single father, I'm divorced. So uh, I've been a single father for about 15, about 15 years. My name is Kenyatta Mason, uh, brother to Ronald Jones. Um, I'm married. I have two kids. Uh, one is 24, and the other one is 12. Um, I work at FedEx. I've uh, worked at FedEx for the last 15 years um, in various capacities. My oldest is uh, a mulatto, and the youngest is with my current wife. So um, I've been married almost 10 years and I laugh because she's sitting right here so I better get that right oh you gonna you gonna hear that later on bro too much pressure B it's a lot of pressure <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, yeah that's me uh, a lot of challenges come with this job a lot of challenges Good evening, gentlemen. My name is Kevin Bailey. Um, just turned 40, um, May the 16th. Um, I've been married, it will be 16 years on August the 28th. Um, hopefully I can make it that far. <laughs> um, I have one daughter um, who's 12. She will be 13 on August, I'm sorry, on October the 11th, she'll be 13. Um, so we're going through this preteen type stage. So my baby girl is no longer a baby girl anymore as of the past nine months. Um, with development, not only emotionally and, and psychologically, mentally, but developmentally as well, physically. And I'm having my challenges with that, to say the very least. Um, I am an admission specialist for the VC School of Nursing, and I've been in the admissions game, um, wow, it'll be 20 years. Um, it was 20 years in April. Um, and I've also been an independent contractor for Nike for years. And um, just happy to be here. I'm honored to be here and willing to uh, assist and contribute any way I can um, but I just want to say up front, this is very therapeutic, um, given what's going on. I think it's in our nature, unfortunately, because of our DNA and um, that we just isolate ourselves a whole lot and have the opportunity, even when the point is to isolate in the social distance, to still um, collaborate with brothers who are positive um, and, and doing something and have the same mindset and the same likeness, man. It's, it's therapeutic right now to even be around you guys. Um, from an internet or standpoint. So I appreciate you guys um, in advance wanting to say that. Kev, uh, you want to introduce yourself since you're also a father? I'm the, I I'm am the a only father, father uh, non-father member of the panel. Yo, so man, I you do. got a lot of adopted nephews and, uncles and nieces, do, though, man. man. So that's, that's fatherhood, too. Yeah, I do. I got a long list. Yeah, yeah man. Well, you know, of course, man. Um, De definitely, man. Kev, one half of the Game Recognized Game podcast with RLJ. And Kev, man, it's been a pleasure kicking off this podcast with my brother, um, Brother Jay. Um, my son will be 10 years old next month, man. 
and um, 10 years flies by. And I just remember when he was born, I'm like, wow, I'm responsible for this dude. <laughs> you know, like I can't mess up, man. <laughs> I can't mess up, man. And what's really been the guide, the kind of the guidebook for me, um, just as, you know, becoming a father and, and developing as a man is like, uh, you know, knowing where my help comes from, man. And the same expectations that I have of God, it's like those are the expectations that my son has of me. And and um, being, becoming a father was probably one of the greatest moments that I've had in my life. And the fact to, that I, I get to have, even in these times, challenging conversations with him, um, he's just he's just so educated and and so enlightened. And um, you know, I really take fatherhood as a as a, a, a sense of responsibility, because if we don't do our jobs, then we we're responsible for kind of kindle, kindling the the light that our kids have and pouring into them. And so. Uh, it's not always easy, but uh, I wouldn't change it for anything in the world, man. Like, that's my guy. And um, at this age, like, I, I can remember myself when I was 10 years old. It was an interesting time in my life. And um, I just see, like, different mannerisms and his kind of level of behavior and maturity at this age. Like, I'm, I'm proud, you know, but I, I know that it's still a lot of work that we have to do to, to ensure that... Um, in the event that I'm not around, <laughs> um, that he has all the, the, the tools and the skills that he needs in order to, to live his life to the fullest, man. And, uh, you know, that's just what I want for, for the next generation. But it's, it's, uh, it's interesting, man, because I'm, I'm divorced. And, um, you know, the dynamic with uh, my ex-wife and myself hasn't been uh, fully ideal the whole while, but... Um, you know, that still doesn't um, negate my responsibilities as a father, you know. And so I think, like, from our different dynamics and scenarios, we have different pressures and challenges that we have to kind of figure out how to circumvent, move around, move over for us to do what we need to do as fathers. And sometimes it's not uh, black and white. And I think uh, society has a tendency to uh, look at us as if we are the, the, the race and the generation of the fatherless. And that's just not the case, man. Like we, we pull together, we pull together these brothers who are good fathers and, and, and outstanding citizens in their community. What brother Jay in a span of maybe three minutes, like, yo, who, who, who can we get to participate? Who do we admire as fathers? It wasn't that hard, man. It's not like as black fathers, we are anomalies <laughs> or that we don't exist, man. For some reason that's been the narrative that's been a narrative that has been kind of forced down uh, our throat, the throats of our communities and what society deems as being accurate. And it's just not the case, you know? So thank y'all, man, for coming out. But yeah, that's that's like my story, man. But yeah, I have a 10-year-old and, and about a month and change, brother Jay. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. I'm getting up there, man. I'm getting up there. <laughs> um, and so first question that I want to ask is, what was your initial thought when you were about to become a father? Like, when the news came to you, like, hey, guess what? <laughs> Knowing a lot of you all, I'm pretty sure I know the unfiltered version. If you could give me the, you know, the filtered version, if you will. 
of what was your initial thought when you found out you were about to become a father? Well, I go first because mine was probably um, the opposite of what you probably are expecting from everyone else. Um, my wife and I both um, had things planned out um, post graduation of getting married, starting a family and so forth. So we tried to um, break a lot of generational curses and try to do things the right way. Um, and we tried for over a year and a half and things weren't happening. And we were like, what's going on? And guy got checked out, she got checked out and so forth. And then um, it was stress galore just because we couldn't conceive. And once we put it in God's hands and said, you know what, we just gonna have a good time and enjoy ourselves. We were together for about five, five and a half years at that point. Um, guess what? I'm pregnant. <laughs> and I was like, oh, finally, okay, cool. So that's how it was with us, man. And um, and August has been a joy ever since. But yeah, we had we had things planned out. Things just didn't happen on our time. And um, so that's how it happened with us. So it was, everything was, was kind of, we thought we were prepared as college graduates and it's that, not at all. Um, I say that I was prepared more than my parents were. My mom had me when she was 16, I believe. Um, so, and Maria's mom had her when she was 15. So that's one thing we talked about when we got together as far as, yeah, um, the stuff we had to go through, we didn't want to go through because our parents didn't know any better. Um, but that's my story as far as um, plan, August being planned out. Yeah, Brother Jay, oh. Brother Jay, I'm gonna break the ice because I don't want, I don't want, the, I don't want any, I don't want any blowback on the brothers tonight, man. When I found out I was gonna have a kid, my first instinct was, oh shit. <laughs> and it and it was a pause. Brother Jay was a pause for yep. about, about 45, 46 seconds, right? And and the <laughs> agony, the agony and pain in my ex like face at the time. Like she was like, I know this nigga ain't. And then it was like it was like, all right, bet, bet, what we gotta do. So you know what I, you wanna know what I did, Brother Jay? I went out. And I bought 10 pregnancy tests. I spent $100 in the local CVS. It was 6.15 in the a.m. on a Friday morning, Brother Jay. And I said, all right, well, if, if that's what your tests say, let's go get a few more because we need some second, third, fourth, and fifth opinions. Tenth opinion, yeah. And so then we went through and all of them kept coming back. All of them kept coming back. Man, I wish my lotto tickets came back with all the luck that them, them, them tests came back with, man. All the pluses, all the double lines, triple lines. I had all of them, Brother Jay, all of them. And so then my black ass, I'm like, yo, uh, all right, well, let's just go to the doctor and, you know, make sure, make sure. And we went to the doctor and, you know, we was married at that point. And I was like, well, damn, we, we, in a, we were in an apartment, but we had an extra room. I was like, all right, well, you know, I, I had just took a new job and I was about to, we were about to move or whatever. And I said, well, man, at least I got the means to put them somewhere or her somewhere. <laughs> you know? Like like for real. And then it then it's almost like a a, a sense of shock. Cause you be like, damn, it worked. <laughs> My equipment worked. <laughs> Cause it's always in the back of your head, you know, because you had some close calls before, but you just never know, brother Jay. <laughs> <laughs> that's my nah, thought, yeah. I'm not commenting on that. It was like shocking up. It was like shocking up, man. But then it was like, okay. all right, well, let's go. Let's get it. Okay. Yeah, let's all get right. it. Nice. Hey, Kev, I want to follow up your story, man, because uh, me and my wife, we've been married for <laughs> years now, but we've been together through undergrad, high school. It's this, it's, it's, it's been a minute, and so uh, actually, this happened with both of our kids, but. Actually, I found out on Christmas, 
and you know why she she's good at holding out information and so she gave me this you know i got all my stuff you know we were family we were out in atlanta well actually in fayetteville georgia and uh she gave me this big box and i was like okay dope what's in here but it's real light and so it was a box within a box within a box and i'm like come on you out here playing and so she gave me pregnancy tests and she's like i'm pregnant and i was like just like kev like oh shit uh, okay really and it was like oh okay and she was like but i'm three months and i was like whoa hold on not three weeks not four like three months this happened with both of our kids um so really the biggest shock for me when it when it really hit home was when we found out the gender because my whole life my dad had nothing but girls he had three girls me and another girl and um you know my pops had a, a lot of women and so, but the funny thing is, is that all of my three older sisters all had boys. So from day one in high school, I'm like, I know my first child is going to be a girl. So I was mentally prepared to have a girl be my first child. And when we went to the doctor and he told me it was a boy, that's when it really hit me. Because I, I felt like with a boy, you know, I had to take on, you know, that much more responsibility and in pouring into him as a man. And looking at how I was raised with my dad, I love him to death, but he loved women. And so, you know, my, my thing, he loved a lot of women. And so <laughs> my thing was, was, you know, okay, you know, I, I'm going to have to set the foundation for my son. You know, my parents were married, but my dad had a lot of women. So, you know, the, the thing is, especially those generational curses, you know, like Kev just said, you know, initially, that's, you know, something I've always just thought about from day one. So, you know, my shock really wasn't the, the three months <laughs> pregnant thing, but it was more, you're going to have a boy and, you know, the world that, you know, he was going to be born into. Well, I got two stories to tell because um, the first one was very unexpected. Um, and he's my oldest. Uh, <laughs> When I got the news, I was like, oh my gosh, how am I gonna do this? I can't even take care of me. So I, I definitely wasn't ready for that. Um, matter of fact, I remember sitting in, I was still in college. Well, I had gone back to college and I was sitting in class and I remember the professor was saying something and he was just talking and the class was like an hour long. And I was like, what did he just say? And like, I was just in a fog for like weeks. Um, <clears throat> because I just wasn't ready. You know, I was still out in them streets. So um, <clears throat> I, I was like, oh, man, maybe she's lying. Maybe she's lying. Maybe she's lying. Because uh, I thought she would do vindictive stuff like that just to keep me around because she wanted to keep me around, and I was sliding to the left. Um, but, you know, it was true. She was pregnant. Uh, so, you know, she had a baby. And I didn't want to be with her, and that was another aspect of that. I didn't, I didn't want to be in a relationship. So now we have this thing that's going to connect us forever, and I didn't want to be connected forever. Um, so it wasn't the best of times um, mentally. Uh, it was very stressful. However, um, I, once I got my thoughts together, a couple years down the road, uh, I started thinking about all the stuff that I needed to be that my father wasn't for me um you know out of all of his boys i probably spent the most time with him but 
it still wasn't the kind of time that we should have been spending. He should have been educating me on a lot of different stuff that I didn't get educated on. Uh, so I had to find that out the hard way. And this was one of them. Because, um, <clears throat> like, uh, Cedric's, no, yeah, Cedric's dad said, said, you said your dad was a player, right? Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so was mine. So, uh, you know, we, I was getting all these bad lessons. Uh, but, you know, um, my sense of responsibility kicked in and uh, I developed a very good relationship with him. Matter of fact, uh, he's a great big brother to his little brother. Uh, he comes and takes him places, does things with him. So I feel like that is all a product of me because there was a time when um, he was in high school that we didn't see eye to eye. And I know it was because of her influence. So uh, one day I, I had him and we were riding. So I said, all right, it's time for you to hear my story. So I just explained the whole thing to him. And then uh, he, was, he looked at me like, huh, really? And I said, yep. So from that point on, it, it's just been a very good bond. Um, the second one was kind of planned. Um, it's with my current wife. Uh, and we were getting up there in age. We were in our mid-30s. And uh, if we were going to do it, we needed to do it then. Because uh, I didn't want to be like going to his high school graduation and with a walker and a wheelchair. So um, <clears throat> what had happened was I, I, I had gone to work, and I came home, she was laying on the couch, and she said, I don't feel well, I don't feel well, I don't feel well. And I said, all right, all right, all right, all right. So uh, I don't know how many days it was between like that and her finding out, but um, I was like, yes, okay. So I thought I was gonna have a girl. Uh, because I had had a boy already, but uh, I had another boy. And then I have brothers that were having all girls. So I felt like I was the boy maker. Um, but it was a really good experience for me the second time around. Um, it was planned. Uh, we were both excited about being a parent. And um, there was a lot of lessons that I had to be ready to instill and that I am currently instilling um, and it's ongoing it never stops when you when you think you got your foot out the water because he's good then you gotta put your foot back in the water because there's something else something else always something else but it's good it keeps uh, keeps us out of trouble and focused well I was my story is a little bit, I was excited, but it was from a different place. So I got married when I was 22. So I was a child myself. And my ex, my ex-wife is Indian. So here it comes. So there was already conflict, obviously seeing as though she's the first person in 2,000 years not to marry somebody Indian, there was conflict between <laughs> her family and me and her marrying me. <clears throat> now, why is that important? It's important because 
I think all of that energy drove how quickly everything happened between us. It drove us getting married soon. And then obviously, as all young, as young couples do, you hurry up and have a baby to solidify your marriage. So it's not that my kids weren't planned. They were planned, but I think that a lot of the energy and negativity that was happening between me and her and her family, it drove everything, you know. I think the smart thing would have been, to get, like in, I tell my kids now, if you ever get married, wait to have children. Like enjoy being married. Because once you have a child, it changes your life forever. There is going, look, you ain't going nowhere without a diaper bag. Where, you know what I'm saying? Where, where's, who got the, 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 the Vaseline? Oh, the baby hot. Did you clip the baby toenail? Like, it's, it changes your life forever. And being young, being married, being excited to be married, it was like, yes, this baby's gonna be, it's gonna be awesome. You know what I'm saying? So, um, my daughter, who's 19, was born first. And I think what I thought when I found out was, again, my mother married my stepfather when I was 10. So for 10 years, I've probably met my biological father. I can count on one hand how many times I've seen him. So I have these two, uh, you know, I have these two very different stories at the extremes. I have one father who denied me and never wanted to see me. And then I have this stepfather who treated me like he was his own and was always consistent. And I saw love my mother. So when I found out that my wife at the time was pregnant, it's weird how with all the positive feelings and emotions I have attached to my stepfather, I still thought about the person that abandoned me. You know what I'm saying? It's not, and it's at least, and, I, and I've searched this and gone, I don't have a, I don't feel a void from it, but for some reason that never, that never left me. So I had, as soon as I found out, I was like, I knew what not to do. I knew I would always be there. And from that moment on, having a child in the world drove every decision that I made. I mean, everything. It drove every damn decision that I made. It drove me continuing school. It drove my profession, what I do. I knew 20 years down the line, I'm not gonna wanna pay for school. So I'm not gonna wanna pay for my kids to go to school. So I'm gonna try to be a professor. Like I made that decision 20 years ago when I found out that my, that, that my wife was pregnant. Like it literally drove every decision that I made um, wanting to be a good father. Um, and I know we'll probably get into some, a lot of the other stuff a little bit later, but I was excited, but it was from a place of, uh, of naivete. This is gonna break. We're gonna love it. We're gonna hold it. We're gonna put clothes on it. And it's just, and it's just like, it is absolutely up all day, up all night, 24 hour a day, constantly teaching less. It is a 24 hour a day job being a father and being a parent. And I didn't know 
I can't, I can't put into, I mean, obviously your fathers, you know, but you can't put into words what that job is like. It's the best and most rewarding and most fulfilling job I've ever had in my life, but it's a job. It, it, tr it truly, truly is that you have to be dedicated to. So um, that's that for now. Okay. So <clears throat> you kind of touched upon this, but I want to dig a little deeper. Where did you get your framework for fatherhood? Dude, Brother Hinton hit it, man. He said that his his biological father wasn't around, but his stepfather came in and treated him like, like he was his own, which he was. And bro, the same thing happened to me because my biological father, I, like Brother Hinton, I could count on two hands the number of times that I saw my biological father in my whole life, and I'm 40, right? And I would say on one hand, up until the time I was 23 years old, and the other, and the other hand, after the time I was a man. And so though my grandfather played a vital role in raising me and showing me like, this is what men do. Men provide for their families. You know, men don't show emotion. Men, men make sure that, you know, people can eat. And on Christmas time, you can be, you can sit in the corner and be happy that you it's a Christmas at your house and smile when somebody give you a raggedy gift you don't want. That's what that's what being a father is, right? And I, and that's that's how I grew up. Like my grandfather was still a young grandfather, but he wasn't like the I'm a well, let's play ball in the backyard. He was like, nah, man, I'm, I'm I'm climbing these poles. I'm climbing these poles for the power company so you can go to college. <laughs> and you go out and you yeah. do the stuff you're supposed to do. And, and let me worry about keeping clothes on your back, food on the table, et cetera. And that was my framework. And so like Brother Hinton stated, but something was still missing. And, and so I, I find myself not necessarily overcompensating, but like, you know, I want to be the one, I wanted to be the one to teach my son how to ride a bike. I wanted to be the one to, to, to teach my son how to box and play a sport and, and, and be, uh, involved in in the day to day and his passions and goals and and all of that stuff, man. So I, it was like I saw one framework, but what I wanted was something that I didn't necessarily have coming up. But it's like, all right, I have the opportunity to create the environment and the and the relationship that I kind of long for coming up. You know, but but I I would agree, man. Like my my grandfather, you know, I got my grandfather's last name. I don't have my biological father's last name, right? And so there's still a part of me that exists, and I spend a lot of time, especially as a younger man, trying to identify like with that side of my family and who I was genetically and biologically by way of my father. So my framework, I had a framework, but I think you know, the, the, the bond between father and son, I still wanted to, to know like who, who I was genetically, who I was biologically, where did I really come from? Yeah. Yeah. Kevin, I, you know, just want to follow up on you. I feel like me, I've been taking inventory since day one, uh, ever since a little kid about whenever I become a parent, what do I want to do and what, you know, what am I do different than my parents? So, uh, for me, you know, although my dad, you know, loved women, he was a family man. You know, he worked hard. He worked for the post office six days a week. And, you know, his thing was, you know, only thing I have to do for you is put clothes on your back, food on the table, and a roof over your head. That's it. On Sunday, I'm resting. But Monday through, you know, Monday through Saturday, you know, he was at work. 
And so, you know, I, he was definitely a man's man. You know, I, I definitely appreciate that about him, but he's definitely old school East Texas where, you know, discipline was that belt. You know, I still to this day remember that mailman's belt. You know, that was, that was like the worst belt in the world <laughs> just to get whooped with. I, I begged my mom to whoop me because she'd be like, wait till your dad get home. He's like, oh, my God. So yeah, that government, that government issue belt. like this thing. Harder than government cheese, man. And he come in with no word. You <laughs> know where to go. It's just like, oh. Uh, so I think even lessons like that where – you know, like my son, you know, you know, gets in trouble at school and, you know, I, I'm quick to listen to him because, you know, he's my seed. I know, I know, you know, all his isms. And so for me, instead of doing the physical discipline, even though that's like a super duper last resort, I'll listen and I'll ask him questions because I want him to think about his, his actions, especially as a young man. Because, you know, when it comes down to it, just as we're seeing, you know, basically our brothers basically being beaten by police and all that, you know, I tell him, man, it's going to be either me or the police. So, you know, give it up. You know, you know, if you did something, own it. But then think about why you did it. And if I have to keep talking, we know what's going to happen. But, you know, my, my thing is, you know, I've, I've definitely been following, you know, building my framework since day one and it really guides me to you know really figure out you know what I'll do the same as my parents but then also what I'll do different also so a lot of that reflection and then realizing the moment for me um, I've only told this story I think I've told this story twice in my life it's the third time telling this story. This is absolutely at the core. This is sort of uh, planted, this experience planted the seed at the core of who I am. So I call this my Terminator story. So my mother had just married my stepfather and he was uh, on Saturdays him and his uh, him and his brother and his friends they would get together and play cards. Sometimes they would play at our house. Sometimes they would play at his brother's house or his friend's house. So I'm up late at night. We waiting on him to come home. Uh, and I watched the Terminator. Okay. And I'm deathly afraid. I'm, I'm shaking. I'm so scared. I'm shaking. I go to bed. I'm in the bed shaking, thinking that the Terminator going to kill me that night. My stepfather walks in. It's got to be one o'clock in the morning. He come in. He say, Hey, boy, your mama said you're scared of the Terminator. And uh, I go, no. He said, yes, she is, sucker. I see you over there shaking now, shaking like booty meat. Never forget it. Never forget it. You shaking like booty meat. Says it's to a 10-year-old kid. He's a little hood. He's a good man. You know what I'm saying? He's a little hood. I said, yeah. So he goes, uh, boy, don't you know I beat up the Terminator? Terminator, Terminator can't fuck with me and all this and all that. And he turned around and he punched the wall. You know what I'm saying? And he's like, boy, look at that. Boy, I told you. He's all right. And I said, yeah, whatever. All right. He's in the show and go to sleep. Close the door. I woke up that next morning fucking fearless. Because even though I knew the Terminator could whip my daddy ass, 
it was <laughs> it was a, this is this is real. I can remember this like this was yesterday. It's the first time in my life I can ever remember feeling protected in my entire life. It is the first time I can remember. My mother, I love my mama. She, she loved me. But it's something different about him making me feel protected. If something happened, he would protect me. And I couldn't remember ever feeling like that before that moment in my life. I woke up, literally, it changed the DNA of who I was. I call those, I call those what I call pivot points. They're these points in your life that changes the DNA of who you are, how you think about the world, or moments in your life you could go left and you, and you went right. That's like a major pivot point in my life. It literally, I literally woke up a different person that next morning. I spoke differently, I talked, I walked differently, I act differently at school when I went back to school. Uh, then that, that was a Saturday, two days later when I went back to school Monday, like feeling protected. I couldn't, re I can't remember feeling protected and that laid the framework and the, and, and the foundation for how I think my children, my children right now, you ain't got, my children know that nothing will ever, as long as I got breath in my body, nothing will ever happen to them. My kids know if, if the police do anything to y'all, everybody's finna get it. Like, they, I don't care who it is. Like, that, but it all came from that one moment of him telling me that he couldn't do it. And it was also another time somebody messed with me. It used to be a place called Woolworth. They show you how old I am. I'm 43. <laughs> somebody made a bad joke to me, and my dad, for 45 minutes, walked around Woolworth in biking shorts and a tank top looking for this dude. Viking shorts and a tank top. Yo, that's definitely 88, man. That's like 87, 88, man. He had With a fanny pack on, on and everything. Side. <laughs> the whole gear, son, all of it. So it's like that like that laid the foundation of who I am today. And real quick, something else is he was a, like, my father worked for the post office. Like, like Brother Sid was saying, my, my stepfather worked for the post office. He would work at that post office all damn day, like from two in the morning to five in the afternoon, six days a week. I can't remember one Christmas that my father didn't work. He would volunteer work every holiday so we could have something because he never had anything as a kid. He would literally say, okay, what time y'all getting up and open gifts up? And I say, four o'clock? He'd say, chill up, well, ain't nobody waking up until four o'clock in the morning. Eight o'clock. He would go in at two o'clock to 7.45 and be walking through the door at 8 o'clock. He worked every holiday. Again, that changed the DNA of me, of the way I think about providing for my kids, the way I think about, you know, protecting them and providing for them, and now putting myself in a position. I call them shifts and phases. I already went through one phase. The second phase is now providing for potential grandkids I might have. All of that came from those two moments, the Terminator and seeing him work every Christmas, that laid that made the core of who I am. You know, as you as you grow up, um, like you know, when I was a kid, I, you know, I I didn't know what we were like socially. I know that there was food on the table. Um, I didn't know what lengths uh, my mom was going through to make sure this happened. 
Um, and like I said, you know, I, I got a lot of my qualities from my dad. Um, not all of them good. Matter of fact, more good than bad, probably. I mean, more bad than good. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, it, it laid a foundation of how I wanted to be with my sons. Um, it, it's not like you can tell your kids something one time and then they get it and just run with it. Uh, it requires telling them over and over and over and over. Did you get it? Yeah. No, you didn't. And telling them over and over and over again. So, um, <clears throat> you know, that's those are the things that I've learned. Uh, and if your father isn't giving you that type of instruction on a regular basis, then you're going to stumble a lot. You're going to um, do a lot of error making. Um, I mean, we're going to do a lot of error making anyway, but without that fatherly guidance, we're going to do even more. So, you know, it, it took me a while to get my um, my game plan together as, as far as, you know, how I wanted to be with my boys, but I knew there were things that my father didn't do that I wanted to do. Uh, and that is why, you know, I've always been so close to them, um, because, you know, they need to hear this stuff. Like, um, uh, I heard Keelan talking about his grandkids, you know, so creating that generational wealth, uh, is, is something that, you know, I, I aspire to do, you know, uh, and, you know, I wasn't taught that. I didn't catch that till later. Uh, had I known earlier than, you know, maybe I wouldn't have been in the streets as long. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't taught, you know, the goodness of marriage, uh, the, you know, the importance of having a good partner. So, <clears throat> you know, my message to my oldest son was, you know, you're a young man, okay? Just don't stay out there too long. Okay, because um, it's, it's important for you to build foundations and grow. And, it, and it's great to have a good partner in your corner that, you know, when you come home, they're going to lift you up. Uh, when you're hungry, they're going to fix you something to eat. They're going to go to the store for you and do whatever you need uh, to make sure you're good. But, you know, that needs to be reciprocated as well. Uh, so it's not all take, take, take and no give. So, um it's a lot of things that you, you go through as a young man that help prepare you for uh, who you will become. Um, experience is a great teacher. However, you know, as, as parents, we want to um, verbally tell them. So we want them to get it when we verbally tell them, but they end up, you know, going and touching their flame anyway. Uh, and then you have to say, see, okay, I'm telling you because I've been there. Um, but, you know, it's a challenge. It is a challenge. Um, and, you know, without uh, good fatherly advice and consistent fatherly advice, um, the kids, you know, they stumble. They stumble a lot. And, you know, our thing is that we want uh, the kids to be able to make good decisions when we're not around to help keep them safe. Uh, so we don't have to do like Keelan said and put it on everybody involved in anything that happens to our sons. So, um, you know, experience is the best teacher if you don't have um, a good fatherly figure preaching to you.
and you know some sometimes you get lucky along the way and find a good mentor uh that you know points you in the right direction shows you what you need to be doing uh so if you're fortunate enough to find one of those along the way then um that accelerates who you will become i'll be brief um i'll say that i'm fortunate to say that my um characteristic foundation of fatherhood comes from my actual dad um he didn't have the most ideal situation um but throughout the time, even when I didn't have the cognitive ability to understand, um, kind of like what Brother Mason said, as far as the conversation he had with his son to sit him down, my dad constantly did that with me during the times when I was five, six, eight, ten. when I now look back at things. And he always had a plan for me, a plan so much that um, he actually lied about his age and um, enlisted in the military early to make sure he could provide for me. So at 16, my dad, although he was from Washington, D.C., was from Flint, Michigan, and was 19, and was in the Navy. Um, so things like that my dad did at that age, not only get away from his environment, again, Washington, D.C., inner city during that time, 80s, you already know what it was. Yeah. Um, he, he made sure that once I got here, I was, he told me on my birthday that I was like his trophy. And, um, that was just his character from the beginning. But my mom, unfortunately, um, I didn't grow up with that nurturing, loving mom. So I still have issues to that till to this day. So I can't say I grew up with both parents. I say my grandparents had a, a great um, way of, of raising me and so forth. But my mom, due to substance abuse and so forth, she got caught into the streets um, in the 80s and early 90s in DC and got caught up really, really bad. And um, so that's what it was. So although he was gone, he let me know through letters and so forth that he was still providing for me, although she would say otherwise. So as I got older, I'm now in the streets because I'm in DC and it's like, it's almost good by association. I've never been no street dude. I was almost, I was never in the street. I was always just a part of the street because the street was just there. And instances came up and my dad literally had to snatch me up out of DC um, after my eighth grade year. And he had a plan for me even then. And I spent my high school years in Chesapeake, Virginia. He got remarried and so forth. And um, I graduated and so forth. But um, I would say that if he didn't grab me that summer of 94, I would not be here. Like I had two weeks basically with, the, with I had a bullet in my name on without even knowing. And when he came and got me a couple of weeks later, the crew beefs and neighborhood beefs, and it was just like World War III um, with my neighborhood and a few other neighborhoods where um, guys 14, 15, 16, 17 years old were literally getting gunned down like animals. Um, so um, from that point on, him and I have had conversations now that I've been a husband and um, been a dad. We've had our conflicts because I've resented him a whole lot because a lot of stuff I had to deal with as a child in that city because of the stuff that my mom used to tell me I used to blame him because I thought he's not here. But he let me know that, dude, I've been providing from you since day one and you got to prove it to me, but I will show you like, Childs, like everything, like you was living with your grandparents, your mom was living with, like I was providing for everyone. And me getting older and realizing that, um, I kind of get my character of providing and protecting. The thing I am missing is that love element. And my dad, being former military, having daddy had and so forth, he's all providing and protecting. That love element didn't come about until maybe four or five years ago. And I told you where me and my mom stood. 
you got a 40 year old guy here who never has that loving mother who everybody talk about that's nurturing like I don't know nothing about that at, at all all I know is just it's me grandma was cool granddad was cool and somehow I just survived through God so um, my issues now with my wife and with my daughter now is being a whole lot more nurturing and I always try to use it as an excuse. I'm like, yo, most men don't got the providing thing and protecting thing down. But I use that now as like ammunition to say that, so what? God blessed you with that. You blessed it. Now you got this other thing that's just that's the love and the nurturing that you need to work on. So it's a constant battle for me because of the background I have and so forth. But everything I did, I have, man, comes from my dad because now that I look back on certain things, a lot of things my mom told me, they'll not line up. And she was just bitter and then the substance abuse and so forth, she was never in her right mind to maybe like five or six, seven years ago. And I was a part of helping her with that as well. So that's my story. But um, I'm fortunate to say that me and my dad, um, he's developing to my best friend. Um, so he's not my enemy anymore. <laughs> so um, that's my story as far as um, me and my dad. So I guess I'm blessed to have a dad like, like that from the beginning. Okay, that's what's up. Thanks for sharing. Um, a lot of similarities with, with doing um, all of the stories, um, different elements and components that um, even though we think our upbringing is unique, it's not as unique the more conversations we start to have, right? We were having a conversation with, um, we call him our little brother, and it was about, you know, when you got fruit juice in the refrigerator, how you stand at the refrigerator, you drink a glass, and it tastes so good, so you pour another glass before you put it back in there. Mike was like, man, I thought I thought my childhood was unique. I was like, nah, nigga, we all drink half the nah, gallon standing with the door open. <laughs> and if you drink the last drop and put it in there empty, you're going to have hell to pay. It's a problem, right? <laughs> so, the more and more we have these conversations, we're realizing, yeah, we lived in different zip codes, or yeah, we lived in different houses, but our our experiences are quite similar. And so the question that I want to ask now is what were some things that you wish, and we can do this rapid style, you can just list them. What were some of the things that you wish you were taught early on in your in your childhood so that you could have had this in your tool belt when you became a father? Me, definitely, man. Um, how to be a man of God. And unfortunately, you know, we all, fortunately, we all grew up with Bibles. Unfortunately, we weren't never really taught what the word actually is or the word is right there so um, a lot of things that are in the word um, are very clear and very transparent no matter what translation you have that God expects of you as a man um, and a lot of that information and revelation I had to dig in myself with the great right mentors and so forth so that's what I wish I had as a foundation with someone that will pick up that book and it wasn't just I won't say it was just a design or anything that's was decorative in the living room um, but I wish it was a man that was there to say, hey, man, this is what Psalm says. Hey, man, this is what, you know, what Mark says. And this is so um, that would have been a foundation for me to be like, OK, fine. This is what God expects of me. Um, again, that would have helped. The biggest thing uh, with me would be financial literacy and responsibility, uh, because I yeah. was I was cashing checks and spending them the same day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and like that, yep. that, that's just not the way to go. Uh, that uh, and how to love like um, you know I, I know my mom loved me um, but I couldn't even tell someone I loved them uh, till I was 20 couple like really uh, because I really didn't have a clear understanding of it um, but now you know I, I know what it means I use it a lot now I mean because I, I, I truly know 
you know, uh, like brothers, uh, cats I went to college with, um, you know, I tell the boys all the time, man, because I want them to know, I want them to have a clear understanding of that. Um, it's okay to love, you know, I mean, it comes with a lot of things and heartbreak is one of them, but, you know, don't let that derail you from moving forward and, you know, doing what you need to do. Uh, but, you know, financial literacy, that would be the biggest one. Telling you, man, I, I, and I would second everything that's been said right now, but for me, I, 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 more about women, man. Like, I wish, I wish I had some game as far as, like, the kind of women that you want to build with <laughs> versus the kind of women right. <laughs> you just want to get with. <laughs> You know what I mean? Amen, preach, bro. Yeah, Amen. so I never had that conversation to really be able to identify the differences. So a lot of that shit was on-the-job training. And that ain't good, man, because, you know, on-the-job training, like, hey, for every two steps forward, we're going to take five back, man. And that's just that's, that's a tough burden. That's a tough burden. So I just wish I, just wish I had more conversations Um with 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 my grandfather or father or a mentor around like you know hey if you can get married these are the things that you probably need to put as a priority or you know if you if you want to have a family with a woman then you know you need to ask certain questions about what her family upbringing is like does it mess with your family upbringing is like you know i had an uncle once he told me he said well you know you get married you marry the family but nobody ever said like what that means, <laughs> what yeah. that meant, and so yeah, I'm some more game around around that man because when you, at the end of the day, as men, we probably gonna spend the majority of our lives with some woman, right? It's your mama, <laughs> and then you can link up with somebody. You gonna spend some, either forever, or <laughs> it's gonna be a good little while. But you're going to spend your time with a woman. So you need to know how to engage with a woman, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you funny, man. Uh, I, I, man, I, I, second, third, just everything that everyone said. Uh, Kev, man, I said, especially if you want to learn more about relationships, you should come to the Bay, man. should have grew up with me, man. It's pimps, players, hustlers everywhere. So that was day one. <laughs> so... That, that wasn't really a, a big thing, but I think that just some of the foundational things on, you know, how to become a man and, you know, being from the West Coast, the, the man, just the, the cultures are different. Black culture is different on the West Coast than it is here, here on the East Coast. You know, on the East Coast, it's definitely more culture. You, you know, you definitely have some of the same challenges that we had on the West Coast, but you know, my family, my grandmother's originally from D.C., uh, Foggy Bottom, before big gentrification train and George Washington happened, GW University happened. So, um, you know, a, a lot of things, you know, foundational things such as, you know, I had reverse culture shock coming out here in 2000 when my wife was going to Howard, uh, you know, for a master's degree program. And I had reverse culture shock just on, you know, just seeing black business owners uh, black CEOs, black teachers. I tell my students all the time, like, bro, when I was in school K through 12, I had one black teacher, one black teacher. 
and Dr. Vaughn's 10th grade year. The man was so old school. If you got online, he'd make you write lines. And it's like, dude, seriously, we, we write lines <laughs> in the 10th grade. But um, I, I think that, you know, it's, it's beautiful just seeing the culture, the HBCUs, the college going. You know, you got people's parents and grandparents with college degrees. And us on the West Coast, we're like, word? Really? That's different, you know? So, um, you know, just really being more in tune with, you know, our people, even though on the West Coast, because it's a different flavor, still beautiful. But then also, you know, just Brother Mason hit it, man, on that generational wealth, that financial literacy, man. You know, growing up in apartments my whole life, all my boys got apartments. If somebody had a house, they were renting it um, or, you know, in subsidized housing, whatever. Learning that aspect of the game is is very powerful. And, you know, although my grandparents had, well, my, one of them said that my grandparents had a house, it wasn't like they were teaching us how to deal with it. You know, it was like the house paid for, okay, cool. And it's like, no, nah, you got to pay taxes every year. You know, those little things, you know, that we just want to talk. So, you know, that's, you know, something that's, that's really key that I wish, you know, was addressed with me by my parents or a mentor or someone when I was younger. Um, a lot of mine are along the same line. I think most important is I wish someone would have taught me, I wish I would have received more affection and taught me how to be affectionate as a young man, as a kid, I was a really sensitive kid. I was a kid that somebody wanted to fight me. I cried before we fought. I was crying during the fight. I was crying after we fought when it was over. Like I was a really sensitive kid. And again, my stepfather came to mind when I was 10. He was loving. I mean, he was, he loved us, but he worked. That's what he did. You know what I'm saying? And I didn't have a mother that was loving or caring. Um, my mother, I know she loves me, but she was cold, but because that, that's because of her experiences as a kid. So, um, when I recognized that when I got married and had kids, I recognized that and I said, I'm gonna do the opposite. And I think what it led to was I overcompensated and I babied my kids. I babied my children for a long time because I was, I smothered my kids. I still, my son is six, three and Brother Kevin, it's interesting when you talked about wanting to know your biology, wanting to know your DNA. Like my son is, I'm, I'm five nine on a good day. My son is six three and a half. And when I look at him, I know he gets that from my biological father who I've never seen. And it's strange, like it's straight that that still clicks in the back of my head somewhere. It doesn't consume me or it doesn't bother me, but it's, like, it's just in the back of my head when I have to look up at my son I know where he gets that from. He gets that from a side that I have no idea about. <laughs> That's just so strange. But real quick, um, I won't be too long, but I overcompensated. And because I, I, I recognized early when I first had kids, I didn't have this. So I smothered my kids with love. Every day as I love you. Every day I kiss my kids. Every day I kiss my son every day. Every day and more than once. Because I'm like, if I don't kiss you, you won't know how to kiss your wife. You want to know how to kiss your kids. You want to know how to be affectionate for, to, towards your kids. And the reason that I have problems with it, and the reason that I sought it through women, and, and as everybody else said, I have a grandfather who's 80 years old now who has a 25-year-old girlfriend. Like I saw my, my grandfather was a pimp. So I saw him go through 
multiple women. I saw him pimp women. He would not date you if you was if you was over forty. He's eighty two now. He's like eighty two or eighty three. Like his girl, one of his girlfriends is twenty five now. So it's like I saw pimping. So when I hit twelve and I started growing hair into my arm, I started just running through girls. Like I started running through women, running through women, seeking for something. And ultimately, I figured out I was seeking for the love that I never received from mother. Because I feel like sexual behavior is is a uh, like how we behave sexually is like a reflection of something internally sometimes you know what I'm saying for me I know I was seeking for intimacy and love that I didn't get home and I especially didn't get from my mother I didn't have that you know what I'm saying so I was seeking that from women and even my earlier years I was seeking that from women but for me it probably would have been I wish somebody would have if somebody would have been more tuned to my emotions I probably wouldn't have gone overboard and babied my kids you know what I'm saying? Like, I completely babied my kids up until I woke up one day and my son was 6'2", six, 6'3", six, and I was like, okay, I got I to gotta get this together. This man finna be up out of the house in a minute. Hold on. You know? So, probably, probably that. Hey, man, your grandpa stuck to the script, though, man. That's, you got, that's, that's to be commended. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna be commended. 82? <laughs> bro, he'll, bro, bro, he'll pick him up off the bus stop. I have been driving <laughs> South Memphis. He lives in South Memphis. I've seen my grandfather. And Memphis is not a small place. Like, out of his truck, hand on the hip, still wear alligators in a suede jacket. That's Memphis. That's bus stop. From Memphis. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> At a bus stop with a toothpick in his mouth talking to a 23-year-old. <laughs> telling her to make her next move her best move. For real. Hey, your man, next move I, your best I would buy his so. book, man. I would buy his book. <laughs> I would buy his book. Hey, Amen. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I got plenty more. Hey, brother, here, I, I want to follow up on that real quick. So my, uh, man, I got to make sure my wife's not here. So, <laughs> man, cause it, it, man, so I, let, let me, let me, let me say this real quick. So my, uh, my uncle-in-law's Fillmore Slim, uh, her basically grandmother's brother. Oh, okay. And I remember, man, we invited this man to our wedding, and he told me straight up, getting married is for squares. I ain't coming, but I wish you the best. And I was like, really? I was like, man, I was hyped. I was hyped to have him because, you know, he, he's, he's well-known. All my boys is going to be there. So, you know, he gave me – that extra and man, he turned me down. I was like, dude, really? So, oh, man. you know, man. That's a so, code, man. That's a code. That's conviction right there. See it? That's yeah. conviction. <laughs> you should be on it. Man, I kind of hurt my feelings, though. <laughs> you should be on it, man. <laughs> so, so with the things that you didn't learn, um, or that you were never taught, rather. What what is one thing that you when you became a father you had to unlearn? And like like uh and the brothers alluded to it a little bit earlier, more so like uh discipline doesn't mean violence. You know what I mean? To discipline my son, I don't have to beat him like an overseer. And I think that's one yeah. of the things 
that's what I learned. That's what I had to unlearn relatively quick because, you know, especially and and Sid can attest to this, man. Like our kids, man, when they were like two, three years old, man, they was all they was all over the place, man. And they had to teach me. I had to teach like I had to really learn patience because I don't think when it came to me like being a kid, you know. Um, between my mother and my grandfather, my grandfather, he was older. So it was like, yo, you do what you told. You don't do nothing. You don't say nothing. <laughs> you don't touch nothing. You don't do nothing. You, matter of fact, you invisible. And that's behaving yourself, right? But Brother Jay, we talked about it before. As a little kid, like, yo, you, you want to get into stuff, right? And yeah. so me just having to unlearn that I don't, to discipline my, my child doesn't necessarily mean I got to put hands on them. Because when I think about it, my grandfather never put hands on me. He always talked to me like I was a grown man, <laughs> like from the time I was a kid. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I just know it is. But it was more fear. It was fear because I'm like, yeah, he crazy. He talking to me like I'm, like I'm 50. <laughs> and I'm not 50. I'm, I'm like six. And so I just knew not to test him. And so like to, to have that same, that kind of same level of just, mercy and understanding without jumping off the handle because i think a lot of times we want to we want to especially if you have a boy like we want to check them as soon as we can to one you know we don't want them to put it put them we don't want them to put themselves in harm's way and they might talk back and you got to let, let them know like yo i'm your daddy <laughs> i'm your daddy boy that's it and we we got to be able to love without being fearful i mean without them being fearful of us because that can that can ha have problems and complications down the line if they feel like they can't come to us as fathers and talk to us and express themselves and be their their authentic selves without being judged or reprimanded or disciplined as a result of it. And so I think that's something I had to unlearn. It's like, man, like yo, he's five. He's gonna do what five year olds do, man. He might walk out the door. <laughs> he might walk out the front door and and walk down the street and he think it's okay. Cause he knows where he, he knows where he lives, but he don't know like yo. That's not what I need you to be doing right now. Cause you you put you you gonna send me to an early grave, <laughs> you know. But he's five, like so he think that's okay. But it's me to teach him. I don't not necessarily put my hands on him and say don't you do that and don't you ever go outside ever again in life. That's not gonna solve the case. Cause then he gonna go outside more, and, and you know I'm not having I'm not having a heart attack really, man. Nah. So yeah, patience, man. I had to learn patience, but unlearn like what I thought it was to like discipline your kid. That's got to be man. Pooey. That's why when he asked that question, that's the first place my mind went, bro. Kevin, man, look, you read my mind. My that was the thing is like my like I said, my son is seventeen, and he can jump and run like a deer, and I look up to him. So it's like. You got to check them. And if your kid, anybody, uh, I know uh, Brother Mason, his son is 24. Like when, when, for those of you who have younger sons, when they get older, it's going to come that time when the young lion is going to try to test the old lion. And it's like, I always felt like, you know, I had, like you said, I had to check them. You know what I'm saying? I know you think you big, but I'll fuck you. I'll whoop your ass. Don't play with me. That might, like you said, that might not be the best approach. <laughs> because but I have to, I have to, like, that is, that, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's yard tactics, man. They trying to come yeah. into my yard and test me, man. Test my dominance. 
in my yard. I tell you, know where your meal's it coming is, from. Baby. It ain't good though. I don't think it's good. That's so hard, bro. That's that's so hard because that's how I, I was. I can remember. I can remember squaring off with my dad. I can. And when my stepfather get mad. He started stuttering. He was after work. He dropped all his stuff in the kitchen. Oh, okay, 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 okay. I said, "Oh hell!" He dropped his stuff. My mother had to walk in between us and stop him from fucking killing me, bro. For real, like because he, he lit. It was finna go down, like because I had popped off and said something. You know what I'm saying? Nineteen, rah rah rah. You can't tip. You got me fucking up, nigga. You're not. So it's like. I just always grew up. That was the one thing to unlearn is, is I'm thinking when my son gets old, I got to check him and let him know. And it didn't, it doesn't take that. It, it really don't get, you know what I'm saying? Me and my, me and my kid now, um, there's still those parts and pieces in now and again. I go, man, who the fuck you talking? You know, and I have to catch myself. You know, I literally have to catch myself because it's so ingrained in me. But a part of that is I had to talk to my kids and be honest with them about a lot of the trauma that I went through as a kid. So when they see me act crazy or do something ridiculous, they go, they, they get it. You know what I'm saying? They really don't mean harm. They're working through 40 years, still working through traumatic stuff that happened to me from the time I was 10 to 19 or 20. But like you said, I didn't mean to talk too much. But yeah, that's it, man. Especially with sons. Feeling like you got to keep them in check. And the way we was put in check may not have been the best thing. And it, I think it's part of it too, bro. It's like... We don't want to show our vulnerabilities. <clears throat> we don't want to show our vulnerabilities to our children. You know, we want to, like, I, I love, I used to love walking through the door. My son's probably four years old. And man, he loved Iron Man. And he looked at me like I was Tony Stocks every time I came through the door, man. And so I think part of it is like, we don't want them to see what we would perceive as being weaknesses or, or, or the trauma or different instances that have played a significant role in our life and who, who have made that have made us how we are because we think, you know, man, well, maybe they won't see us in a certain light or have that same, same level of admiration and respect because like our fathers and grandfathers, they didn't show too many, many emotions either. And so you, we growing up thinking like, yo, that's how you supposed to be with your kids, man. They, they need to know not to test you and they need to know like, yo, if once again, if they open up Christmas gifts on Christmas morning, they go to a corner and sit down. You don't bother them. They don't bother them. Like that's, that's how I grew up, man. I think uh, all you, most of you gentlemen hit on that, that, that how we were checked as young men, you know, by our parents or whomever. Um, and initially, that's how you want to handle it. Um, but you realize that um, that's not showing them love. Uh, yeah. it, it's, it's, it's fueling them to be the same way. Uh, so what I had to unlearn was that. And, uh, you know, I don't say much, but when I do say something, you know, it, it usually lasts longer than they would like. So it's almost like I'm winning because, you know, I'm verbally just beating them all upside the head uh, instead of physically doing it. So um, the youngest, he really hates it. He just kind of like, man, you gonna ever stop talking. And I'm like, no, no. Okay, this is the best way, trust me. Um, but you know, um, 
both of them know though you know if you want to test there's a test for you and I, I i just let them know you know there's a test for you if you want to test there's a test for you um and that's it i don't uh, i don't harp on it I, i'm not really physical at all um you know I, i'm kind of imposing because i'm really tall still um the oldest is six two ish and i'm still taller than him uh, and the youngest, you know, he, he can't wait to get to be about six, nine, but I told him, I still fold you up like a piece of paper. <laughs> Yo, man, you we will always get the big piece of chicken. Don't ever forget it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, amen. Hey, amen. Hey, amen. Yeah. Now I think patience, uh, like the brothers all hit on, man, is, is, is really big. Uh, but then also, I think that the, the part of the process of, especially with my son, you know, showing him who I am, I'll even, you know, show him my flaws and talk about it, you know, because I, I know I'm not perfect. And, you know, he's always like, dad, I want to be just like you when I grow up. And I'm like, no, nah, I want you to be better because we got to build on this legacy. And so it's, it's funny. He'll like ask me these questions. He'll listen to my conversations and ask follow-up questions. And, you know, he'll be 10 and, you know, I, I admire that about him because, you know, my dad, I was terrified to ask him questions just about anything because, you know, he was definitely the disciplinarian. And so uh, just with my son, you know, it, it's, you know, I always tell him, you know, definitely affectionate with him because, man, when I think about it, my dad never hugged me or kissed me. Dang, he didn't even tell me he loved me, you know, but he was a, he, but he was a, you know, he showed his, he showed his uh, just admiration for the family, just in, you know, in different manners, you know, definitely a manly man. I remember one time I was at my, uh, at my grandma's house, my big mama's house, his mom's house over in the projects in, in San Francisco in Hunters Point. And I remember my cousin, she left my bike in the front stoop area of, you know, of the, of the unit. And so I took a nap, I woke up, I was like, hey, you was riding my bike. She like, yeah. And I was like, where's my bike? She like, I left it in the front. I already knew it was gone. I, I already knew. And open the door, man. I'm like, my dad's going to whoop me. You know, my bike is gone. And man, my pop showed up and I was terrified to tell him. And he was like, we go look for your bike. And I was like, for real? And he was like, yeah. And so we went right over the hill, man. And lo and behold, I saw this dude on my bike and he had, I had the little, uh, the little stand-up pedals in the back where you can ride your little homie on in the back. This dude has some chick on the back of my bike. And I was like, man, I'm like, it's only two of us. How are we going to get my bike back? And I promise you, it was like 30 dudes on the block. And I was like, I know my dad crazy. He a Gemini. Like, you know, I'm, I apologize in advance if anybody on here Gemini. But, like, I was like, dude, I know my dad is nuts. And so he was like, you know, we driving a little Volvo. He like just sit here and I remember my dad put his pistol behind his waist walked over there I don't know what he said but homegirl hopped off my bike dude was like here you go everybody on the block just stood there and he put my bike on the, on his back and walked over to the car and I was like dude this dude is my hero right here and he was like don't tell your mom and that was that Terminator moment man Terminator yeah. moment man definitely Terminator moment so uh, <laughs> you know when it when it comes to unlearning things definitely being patient but then also at the same time exposing those flaws I think that is healthy 
because that's something that my dad, you know, even when he went through his darkest time with, with substance abuse, you know, my parents split when I was in the fourth grade. So, you know, I didn't hear from him for a couple years because he felt like he was less than. So when he finally kind of got himself together, he popped back in the scene. But, you know, I, I feel like, you know, just, you know, take me as who, as who I am. And, you know, that's that. Don't be afraid to show all dimensions of who you are. That's good stuff, Cedric. Appreciate it. So that was um, the things that we needed to learn uh, and or unlearn. What would you say has been the most challenging aspect of fatherhood? With me, um, wow, especially with having a girl, um, I would say the most challenging thing is waking up every morning after prayer, thanking God that he gave me another shot. To say, like, I think a couple of guys already said it before, um, knowing that she is basically watching my every move, um, probably detailing and analyzing everything I say, how I say it, when I say it, and knowing that particularly now until forever, I'm probably the model that she's going to use um, for when her time comes to get swept up and get swept under the broom or whatever it's called. And um, psychologically, that can be daunting. <laughs> so I try to just go with the flow and say, you know what? I got a Kevin Holmes. I got a Keon. I, like, I try to go to say, I'm not the only person on this boat. So that's honestly what keeps me psychologically motivated and healthy to say, nigga, the nerve of you to think that you're the only person out here that got this pressure or this challenge. So every morning it's like that. I'm saying to myself, you know, I have a wife and a daughter to provide and protect for, but they're honestly looking for me to not only lead and guide but that's consistently every day. And I'm not saying I can't make mistakes, but I'm saying that my mistakes can't be so devastating or daunting in which they will be mentally, emotionally, psychologically damaging with the way we had to live and what we dealt with. I think that we are a generation um, with what we've experienced that um, we have the education, the information, the relevation to be better. But now the challenge is stepping yeah. to the plate and being better. So it's kind of like it's the biggest oxymoron in the world that you now have everything. But now it's like, damn, the pressure's on for you to kind of perform every day and that's the challenge that I have is just to kind of calm down and um, have a balance I guess um, I think my biggest challenge is um, when you tell them something uh, and you know if they don't listen they're going to make that mistake and having the patience and to let them go through it you know, to let them go through it, um, it's, it's challenging because you're saying to them, look, man, I did this. This is the way it's going to turn out. Trust me. And then they do it anyway. And then it turns out just like you uh, told them it would. <clears throat> uh, instead of saying, I told you so, it's like, okay, what did you learn? And, you know, you got to have that patience, um, like Cedric was talking about. Um I mean, Kevin was talking about. Um, you gotta have that, gotta have that patience, and and it's a challenge some days because we get caught up in providing for the family, uh, making the right decisions. Um, you know, everything comes at you like a whirlwind all the time. You're constantly deflecting. You're constantly um, 
trying to figure out different ways to make this happen, make that happen. And then when it comes to them, I don't know about you guys, but like you feel like you should be able to tell them, you know, a couple of times, maybe five, and they should get it. Uh, and then they don't. And then you're like, goodness, what did I do? What, what, am I doing something wrong? But, you know, they're going to, they're, they're their own people and they're going to go do things the way they see fit. Um, and most times experience is the best teacher. And as long as it's not extremely detrimental to them, like, you know, something is going to injure them or potentially kill them, you know, you got to let them go through it, like heartbreak and all of that stuff. So uh, it, it takes a lot of patience. To, to do that for me. And Kenyatta and Keelan, y'all, you all have older sons, right? Do you see, do you see like, do you see yourself in them when you were around that age and it's like, yep, I made that same mistake. Like, do you see yourself in them when you see them like bearing left when you like, yo, I, I need you to go this way and I, I really don't want you to learn it the hard way because I've been there, but they, for some reason they don't believe you. I got a quick story, and uh, and it, it was it was real recent. It was like probably prior, just prior to maybe last summer. Okay, um, something was on my mind. Like I, I had seen one of my oldest's lady friends, and you know, as I'm watching her, I'm like, man, she's just like his mother. So it was on my mind to tell him, look, man you need to put condoms on if you're not using them. And I didn't, and I didn't, and I didn't. And he hits me, he says, Dad, I got something I need to tell you. And I'm like, oh, shit. what in the world? Uh, didn't he get that message? Um, but, you know, I had never had that conversation with him. And I, and I thought he would just understand this is what you need to do. So... You know, I said, you know, I, something was telling me to tell you this. Something kept telling me to tell you this. Um, but, you know, yes. I mean, definitely the oldest. Like, I, I'm thinking they carbon copied my DNA, <laughs> put that up in him, like, verbatim. Uh, and, you know, it's like, eh. But, you know, uh, I think the difference is like I, I constantly talk to him and with him um, about things that weren't being told to me. So he's light years ahead of me in a lot of aspects, uh, but he, he definitely has a lot of my social characteristics. Um, my son, thank God, is nothing like my raggedy ass. Oh my God. <laughs> Yo. I was so wide open when I was 17. I'm telling you, he's like me in the sense that he's, uh, he's, he's, he's very he's sensitive like I was, but it's like the environments that we grew up in and the things that we saw are so drastically different. I mean, I had seen people stabbed and I'd seen whole skating rings of people shot up at that by that point. Like I was, I, I've had experiences in Memphis that were so drastically different than him. And like, he just has to worry about, you know, if his Xbox controller works. And then up until that point, I never had anybody to really talk to me and teach me and have conversations with me. And he, he's had that. So it's like, he's drastically different in regards to the tools that he has. 
Like he has a whole lot of tools for his tool pack. Now he's 17. He might not always pull the right tools, but it, he at least when he looks in his pack, he has an assortment that I never had. If somebody say something, swing on him. And, and if she grinning at me, you know what I'm saying? It's time to holler. Like those, the only, those are the only two things that I thought about when I was 17, you know? So <clears throat> he's much more sophisticated because he has tools. He, like he just has so many tools that I don't have because I'm constantly, like everybody said, I'm constantly talking. Like Brother Mason said, man, my kids get so sick of hearing my mouth. They go, oh my God, it come another speech. I say, sit down, nigga, here it come. He said that I'm talking another hour. I'm, I'm constantly teaching. I'm constantly talking. Um, so it's weird. It's like from an emotional standpoint, he's, he's, he's sensitive like I was, but it's like he responds very differently. He's a thinker. He's more of a thinker at 17, but I think it's he has more tools than I had then. Everybody talked about this notion, the idea of uh, the last conversation we had and uh, showing emotional vulnerability. And I say this all the time. It's like people look at men like they're monsters. But it's like from the time we all think about it, from the time we all crawled and walked and talked, what did they tell us? Big boys don't cry. Big boys don't cry. Big boys don't cry. And you can't tell a boy big boys don't cry and expect that boy to become a man one day and to know how to love. And I think that that's what happens to men is that we're never given the tools that we need to be emotional because they're so busy trying to turn boys into men that they never make us into people when we're young. And it's like, I can't, I can't count the times I heard to be tough, big boys don't cry, be a man, be a man, toughen up, toughen up. And then all of a sudden I get in a relationship and women are surprised that, they, that we don't know what to do. We don't know how to love our kids. We don't know how to hug our kids. We don't know, like, how many times has a woman cried in front of you and you was like, damn, you're like, Cut that shit out. Like, you didn't even know how to respond. You know, you'd be like, uh, this is awkward. <laughs> What's wrong with you now? Like, what, what, like, what, what is Are you crying? God damn, what's wrong now? What the fuck is wrong now? Like, <laughs> like you didn't even know. It's a bathroom <laughs> over there if you need it. <laughs> I just think it's, I just, I think it's crazy. And I think it's unfair how we become the very things that they make us. And then you're mad when you get what we are. Like, I don't, I don't get it. From the time we could cry, you told us be men and don't cry, show emotion. And then when I have no emotional tools, you get mad and you blame me. It's, it's crazy, but I just, I that ran through my mind when everybody kept talking about this emotional idea of showing emotional vulnerability, showing vulnerability to our kids. You know, and that's why we're just trained and ingrained and socialized to be that way. And then you get mad when I'm a grown man and don't know what to do. So something to think about. I apologize. I didn't mean to stop you, but it's just something that crossed my mind I wanted to say. Yeah, no, no doubt. Uh, no, I, I totally agree. And uh, Keelan, something that you said, you know, talking about different environments that you grew up in versus, you know, you, your children, you know, your son, your daughter. And I guess, you know, especially for the brothers who are, who are old, you know, who have older children just on here, how do you, you know, deal with, and I think I told my boy this, um, uh, you know, earlier today, man, or actually yesterday, I was like, dude, look, we lightweight, you know, we in suburbia, you know, definitely from 80 sitcom TV, you know, good times and Huxtables real big in the house. But I'm just like, dude, we lightweight living like the Huxtables, but I got like good times PTSD. 
because I'm still like, yeah, bro, did you lock the door? Why you leave your bike outside? Even yeah. though I know nobody gonna take it, but I'm just so yeah. used to being like, look, bro, hey, you better stay ready. And so, how do you, how do you, you know, deal with, you know, the fact that our kids are basically living better, you know, or just in, you know, definitely, I guess, better circumstances than, you know, maybe we were during their age. Like, how do you? navigate that because like to me the concept of having a yellow school bus to pick you up still amazes me because in Cali you know yellow school bus you know picked up the special ed kids besides that you either walked or you got on the city bus we didn't have a student parking lot like bro you parked on the street you got a car you selling dope like did you steal it today I remember one of my boys tried to pick me up in the seventh grade walking to school like hey you want to ride to school and I was like Nah, man, I see you. I, I see you. <laughs> Hopefully you'll make it before you get pulled over by the police. I, nah, I'm good. So, you know, it, it's just... Said, that's the though. Like, awesome like, like Kingston, Kingston got white friends, man. Think about that, man. I have no white friends. Like, free, but I would call my friend. Like, growing up, like in your neighborhood that you play with or after school and you sleep over their house. Like I didn't have white friends, man. My son got white friends, man. That's like it's it's different. It's di it's a different time, more exposure. That's crazy. Yeah, how y'all deal with it though, man? Because like you said, you know, they they ain't gonna know the they ain't gonna know the they ain't gonna know uh all of the struggle. I'm deal with it. I'm I'm still the same. My kids are saying I'm crazy. I mean, it's just. What it is like, and but they get it. I'm still, I, I got a gun permit. I'm still strapped there when I go. Like, I sometimes still feel the need to to bag in when I park. I'm still watching everything moving. Like, I, you know what I'm saying? I, I mean, I've seen people carjacked at 12 o'clock noon on the street, broad daylight. I, when I drive, I'm still looking in my mirror to this very day. I still check my mirror. Like, there's just some things that. I've been so traumatized from my from my community, like from my neighborhood and the way I grew up, that I, I tell them those stories so they so they get it. Like before, like I've been in houses when I was a kid that got raided, the doors got kicked in. I still wake up every two or three hours in my house and just walk around my house to this very day. Like my kids know that's dad walking around the house. Like they just kind of get it. Like at one point years ago, my daughter was like. You know, we sometimes we surprised that you function. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just kind of how I don't know. Like, I, I I don't know if this you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but I'm just so socialized and ingrained to this point. They just kind of they just kind of get my craziness, and I just try to teach them other avenues and other you know other ways of sort of handling problems other than me. You know what I'm saying? It's funny you mentioned this and this topic because um, my wife and daughter had a conflict today that I decided not to get in the middle of because my wife came to me a few hours ago and just said, um, August is now no longer going to come to the store with me. And I was just like, okay, what's going on? She said, now she's at that point that because of daddy, she feels like every time we go somewhere that she's entitled and privileged 
to actually get something. We talk about cereal, and you know, we talking about you no know, girlfriend wants to, uh, a, a shirt or wants some shoes, and I'm like, now I have to kind of pull it back because, like Keelan and we talked about before, it's the overcompensation. So again, the balance of damn, I don't want this girl to have to do what I had to do to get them shoes, or like her mom, she had no plan to actually go first day of school with holes in her shoes in Detroit for three or four straight years. We don't want her to hear the life because we already traumatized, like Keelan said. We already, yeah. So you walk around the house every night, they already know. Three, two, three o'clock in the morning, particularly what's going on now, I'm just checking everything just in case because I'm protecting them. So they already know if they hear any creaks in the steps. That's just dad walking around and so forth. So I'm trying to figure out how to balance that because, again, it's the overcompensation, but also wanting her to know how a man's supposed to treat her. But at the same time, it, it might go on a little bit too much. So my wife and I always kind of have that balance because um, she – we're at that point now in which my daughter is going to have to have that moment, as we talked about with our dads, to know who's the queen of this household, regardless of what's going on. So as my dad would say, my daughter started smelling herself a little bit now. we all been there. So we have that thing going on now. But the dynamic as far as that female to female thing, um, I infuse myself when I have to, but I just try to be the father fair figure and dad fair figure and just say, look, this was going on. But I think a lot of times, with August, with my daughter, a lot of stories are shared, not only from me, but from my mom, from her cousins, like they would tell her how things are. And we kind of have like a whole old school household in which she only got a certain amount of time to be on the internet. So she got to read, she got, she got to write papers and like certainly she still got to do still to prove that, yeah, it was a point in time when me and your mom had to go to the library and we had encyclopedias. You would know about that life. It ain't your life, but you're gonna know about the life or experience it at least. And so we have that balance of machine always going crazy and just um, just being totally just 2000s and 2010s, 2020s because of the instant gratification that's going on now. My wife and I are very strategic on kind of slowing that down. Um, I, I... I grew up in the suburbs almost um, since like 11. Um, and prior to that, like we grew up in the projects, but like everybody knew my family. Like my dad was like crazy as shit. I mean, literally crazy as shit. He would go in people's yards and like beat their dogs and shit up and tell them if they come out, they gonna get the same thing. The nigga was crazy. <laughs> but uh, so like, it, it was kind of carefree the whole way for me. Um, however, you know, I know the realization is like somebody will steal your bike, you know, somebody will take your ball, um, especially if you got nice stuff, you know, and we're always trying to provide nicer things for our kids. Uh, so it, it's a challenge to get them to understand like everybody doesn't have the same things you have. Everybody doesn't go like my youngest, um, this nigga's been on both coasts in the same year. Matter of fact, in like two weeks apart, like he was in the on the West Coast and came back went to Ocean City. And I was like, yo, uh, I was in my 20s before I did anything like that, you know? Yeah. And um, you need to start appreciating some of this stuff, like and like really understanding the magnitude uh, of these things. So, you know, I, I preach a lot to him. Um, He's slow to get it because uh, I, I, he keeps asking me questions. I say, yo, you have Google on your phone. He's had a phone for almost two years, maybe a little over two years. I say, man, you got Google on your phone. Like, do you understand? Like, all you got to do is say, hey, Google, uh, what is, and Google comes back with something. 
you know, I don't know how accurate it is, but it's, it's information for you to start reading and digesting. I said, we had to look in, we had to go find the encyclopedia, then like flip through the pages alphabetically. And, you know, by the time you get there, you're like, damn, do I really want to do this? And all you got to do is say, hey, Google. I said, and you could have so much more knowledge. So he recently just, I mean, like within the last two months, he just started doing that. And I'm like, I don't get it. Like you could use this stuff to do homework and all of that. What are you not understanding? Yo, Kenyatta, the kids, they'll they'll never know that the Dewey Decimal System killed a lot of hopes and dreams, man. The Dewey Decimal System killed a lot of hopes and dreams, Kenyatta. Yo. Yo, I wanted to be like I wanted to be like Mr. Wizard, man, but then I had to look it up to see what wow. he did in his background and I said, no. Oh, oh man, okay, bro. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'm I just saying. Went on, I went on here and gave the lady the card back. I said, it's okay. So, you know, I mean, it, it's a challenge, man. Um, it is a challenge, you know, to get them to understand, you know, about things. Like, it, it's tough. Like, because we are, we are much better off than, you know, our, our families before us. Most of us. And um, you get comfortable. You know, you do. You get comfortable. Uh, Keylon, my dad used to do the same thing. Walk the house. Whenever I stayed over there, I'm like, damn, who the hell is that? And he'd be walking around looking. But he grew up in that time where, like, they wanted his ass. And, like, his home, yeah. or in my home, in my hometown, they wanted his ass. So he had to relocate because yeah. uh, it was hot. But um, I think he still watches the house. I mean, you know, hey, look, hey, I think Keelan gonna be the same thing. He gonna, he gonna be like seventy years old, walking the house at two o'clock in the morning, walking like, the house. yeah, look. <laughs> what is he looking, looking at? Looking, looking He's the always blind. looking. <laughs> yeah, all that shit, man. Like, I mean, but like, and some of that is ingrained in me, like, cause when I'm out, everybody gets that look, like, okay, yeah, are you yeah, a threat? Man. Are you a threat? you would threat and like you know it's, it's just something that's ingrained in us as not not necessarily in a youth but as black men you know we always yeah. got to see it coming whatever it is and like it comes so many different ways it's like and, and i tell both of my boys i'm like just look do a room survey i i i don't expect you to be as in-depth as me but like do a room survey something might stick out at yeah. you uh, and those things, it's tough because, you know, all of us want to survive for the next day yeah. and don't want something foolish. Like, you know, if we see the nigga walk in there with the Uzi or the, the AK, like, okay, it's time to exit. Where they at? Let's go. Get out. We want to know that. Um, you know, but that's just the world we live in. So what would you say is um, one lesson that if if your child or children don't remember anything that you've ever said, but one thing, what is the most valuable or most important lesson that you want them to remember and to pass on to their children? Ethnic presence um, and the right presence. And that's one thing that I have been um, conscious about um, is, is every day the right presence. So uh, like 
think Elon hit it on the nail about, about an hour ago. Once he had a child, it just drove everything. And that's the man that I've been as well. So with me, it's definitely um, present. So a lot of things that I have been wanting to do, <laughs> I have not done um, because I know the long-term and I hate to say it, permanent effects that I've had from that lack of presence, regardless of the situation and um, the lack of power I had in those situations and those circumstances. Um, and I don't want that for my daughter or my wife um, at all. So um, definitely just on my tombstone, I would like to have it on there that my legacy would be my presence. I think for me and, you know, me and my wife both stress this to our kids is having our kids appreciate their, their melanin, their brown skin, be comfortable with your hair, just with your complexion. Um, you know, that's the beauty about, you know, us as, as black people from the African diaspora, like, look, we come in all shades and colors and no matter what you see on social media, because people, you know, put their pictures up and and filter it and Photoshop the hell out of it. These damn 12 year old girls running around with lace fronts and, you know, eyelashes and all this other stuff. They still look like little kids. And, you know, just especially for my daughter, man, you know, at your age, appreciate your skin and, you know, don't let anybody tell you that you're less than, you know, at the end of the day, like, like really you know, appreciate the skin that you're in and definitely be present, but then also, you know, just be cognizant of your surroundings. That, that is well. Um, I think my only lessons, because I, I kind of suffered from a lack of it, uh, was complete confidence in who you are. Uh, you know, there were areas in my life that I was confident in, um, women, sports, uh, but like outside of that, like um, I wasn't always sure of myself. So, you know, <clears throat> Just confidence, have it, you know, understand that you're going to get hit on the chin. You may go to the mat, but you got to get back up with the knowledge that you can make this happen um, some way. So just confidence. Complete confidence. Um, for me, I know you said one thing, but there's this one, there's this one quote that in cap encapsulates a lot of things but there's just one quote that I that I tell my kids constantly and I repeat this constantly and I heard a preacher once say that graveyards are full of regret and potential and it never left me I heard this it might have been 20 years ago it never left me and I tell my kids all the time and I tell the kids that I teach all the time I tell them this as well when you die and we all, our time coming at some point or another. Nobody's going to, I've never seen a U-Haul follow a hearse, as they say. Nobody's going to care what your job is. Nobody's going to care what kind of car you got. Nobody's going to care what kind of house you got. All we're going to do is sit around and all you going to, if, if you are lucky enough to be able to think before you die, you're going to wonder, did you love the people you should have loved? Did you do the things that made you happy? So my message to my kids, I would want them, make sure that the people you love know that you know, that they love them, and make sure you chase the shit that set your soul on fire. 
And that's what life is about. All the rest of this shit that we do in life is the shits and giggles. Your job, your, nobody care what your job is, your job, your car, your house, that watch. When you die, we gonna sit around and talk about if you was an asshole or not. That's it. Ain't nobody gonna talk about your house or your car or your job. Are you a good person? Do you make the room a better room? So I just always try to impress upon them. Try to make the room a better room. The people that you love, let, make sure they know you love them. And make sure you do stuff that make you happy. Because at the end of the day, that's, those are the only things that's really going to matter. So if they, and when I tell them, they go, yeah, yeah, we know, we know. But <laughs> hopefully, you know, if anything, that is one thing that, that's one message I continue to drive home to them. It's easy when you're young to get caught up in one stuff and chasing money, chasing wealth and the world teaching you, trying to tell you who you should be and what you should be and what you should do. And just try to all let them know that, you know, we only here for a minute when it comes to life. At the end of the day, love the people you should love and do the things that set you on fire and the rest of it shits and giggles, whatever happens. For me, I, you know, I, I second everything that was said. Um, and with that, really, man, just dare to be excellent. Excellent. You know, whatever yeah. it is, whatever your heart desires, man, whatever whatever it goals and, and, and dreams that you have, man, just put your best foot forward and go after it, after it and, and dare to be excellent. And, you know, like Keelan said, you, you don't want to live your life with regrets. And if you, but if you know you did your best, the best that you could and, and leveraged all of the resources, whether they're limited or in abundance that you had at your disposal to be ex excellent, then that's what you should do. You know, and, and, and I try to, I try my best to um, instill that into Kingston now, because yeah, you're going to have this, you're going to be discouraged in some situations if you're trying to learn a new sport or learn a new subject, but don't sit back and cry about it, man especially if you know that you didn't put your best foot forward. So, you know, you, and I think a lot of times, um, like Kenyatta said, we, we, we don't, we, we can be confident in some areas of our life, but sometimes we're scared to aspire, to aspire to be excellent because we don't have the belief in ourselves to do it. And um, as the gentleman mentioned, like our kids have so uh, much access to information than we ever had, man. So it's like, it's no excuse. Like if you want to learn how to start a business, it's right there, man. If you want to, if you want to learn how, if you want to learn how to code, you don't need somebody to teach you. If you want to learn a particular topic, you don't need somebody to tell you where to go find it. It's like Kenyatta said, Google Siri, <laughs> tell me about, uh, uh, Molly history. Tell me about uh, the civil rights movement. Tell me about entrepreneurship. Like it's no excuse, man. No excuse. And, and, and with that kind of information at our children's disposal, you know, I really want, I just want them to just be excellent, man. Put it all out on the table because I just think if we can do all the things we talked about this evening, then they'll be inspired to just try to get the most out of, out of their lives, man. And not have to worry about a lot of the baggage and trauma and stuff that we've, we've, we've carried trying to be good fathers, you know, that they can just do it free and be who they want to be, love who they want to love and just uh, try to get, make the most out of life, man. 
I think that's what, at the end of the day, as fathers, that's what we want for our kids, you know. But I want them to be excellent, you know. Don't don't half-ass it. Don't don't accept mediocrity, you know. And it's gonna be, hey, we all know it. it's gonna be people that gonna tell our ass no all the time. And you gotta you gotta you gotta have some tough skin because everybody's not gonna accept you. But you go and you and and if if the 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 ball is in your hand and the seconds are winding down on the clock. Your ass need to take a shot because everything has been set up for you to make that shot. Facts. And I think, um, you know, talking to a lot of the, my young mentoring group, I, I told them no is something that you will hear more than yes. And no stands for next opportunity. So whenever someone tells you no, that means it's now time to advance to the next opportunity. And a lot of times we as black men, we get so hung up on no. And we, and we spend all this energy and effort focusing on the no. And we don't realize that, you know, sometimes uh, rejection is protection. And so just focusing on what that, what that no really means and, and, and acknowledging and appreciating the no. Because without that no, you would never have made it to the next yes. And so... Um, I, thank you, man. I I want to like acknowledge and appreciate all of you all for being pillars within your community um, and showing whether you believe it or not, people are watching. People are watching that are older than you, people are watching that are your age and that are younger than you, not just necessarily people that are within your family, not just your children, but people are watching you. Um, be that example of what a black man should be. Be that example of what a father should be. Be that example on what um, an ornament within the community needs to look like when people look at the picture of the landscape of what makes the city the city, what makes the community the community, but more importantly, what makes the village the village. And so I want to acknowledge you all. You know, I'm the only one without ch children here, so I get the Get to pull a card here. I still got some running around to do. Just kidding, just kidding, because I, I don't, I don't want no smoke on whoever listens to this. But hey man, um, you could, you could be eighty five and have a twenty five year old girlfriend, man. We learned that this evening. We learned that this evening. That's right. <laughs> we does learned that. This, yeah, the game don't that. stop. The seasons Ooh. just change. Come on, Clearly. preach. That's right. Clearly. But hey, listen. I know that the streets is hot. The streets Ooh. is hot, player. The streets is hot. And, and it's now summertime, and mm. the heat is coming up from the asphalt. So, uh, <laughs> wear your mask. Wear your mask. Wear your mask. <laughs> but brothers, definitely keep being a shining example. Um, I admire each of you all. Um, just even if it's like short conversation, or if it's like I've known you for years. Um, if we're related or if we're not related, we all brothers now. And so just continue to be that example of, um, of, of a good man in general, a good human, but we are rewriting the narrative on Amen. black fatherhood. Amen. Right. And so yeah. um, we talked about a whole lot of things that are like generational, like it, it runs through the family, but like you all have decided that just because it runs through the family doesn't mean it still has to continue through you. And so continue to be that example um, Kev, closing thoughts, man. And it's just been a, a privilege to to share this episode with these brothers, man. I've learned a lot, and um, I think uh, Kevin Bailey said it earlier. Like, yo, it feel good to know that we're not the only. You know, we're not on this journey in isolation. 
<laughs> that that that, yeah. that you know our stories are very very similar though happening in different areas yeah. of the atmosphere and so um i just appreciate y'all man and setting a uh, shining example of uh you know the fathers that we you know we aspire to be and the examples that we uh are, are trying to become and so i thank y'all for for, for certain and um Happy Father's Day to y'all, man, to, to, the, to the kings that's raising uh, young queens and young kings. So, thank you, bro. Appreciate it. Yeah.